Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday, summertime Monday, and joining us in this episode of Flyers Daily, you read his stuff on NHL.com, HockeyBuzz.com, and PhiladelphiaFlyers.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing well. Jason, how about you? Doing good. Hot. And as you know, yeah. as I've talked about on this podcast and on my radio show for years and have expressed on social media, I hate heat. <laughs> I'm ready for fall already. I'm ready to count down the days to the NHL season, which is about 80 days away for the Flyers, which isn't that far off. But the fate of complete for a lot of people is that this year is going to be a disaster. We'll see. Hockey's a random sport, so you never know. But um, I know a lot. There's a lot of negativity still out there, which we're going to tackle in just a second. But where I want to start, Bill, is with the trade that went down uh, the other night between the Calgary Flames and the Florida Panthers. It's the first actual sign-in trade that we've ever seen in the NHL, where Calgary actually signed him to the contract eight years, and then in turn flipped him for quite a haul. Yeah, at least at least in recent history, because it it did used to happen in the past. Where uh, I think of a couple of Flyers examples actually. You know, Keith, Keith Allen used to be known for you know when guys have been loyal to the team were. You know, and nearing the end of their careers, he would sign them and then trade them the, that day or the next day. You know, like uh, Moose Dupont to Quebec, for example. Joe Watson to to the flame, rather to the uh, to the Rockies. You know, those those were sign and trades. But this is a, this is a different thing because this was, uh, you know, obviously much much bigger money involved, and you know, this was this was prearranged to be that way because of his free agency status. So it, it you know. So I guess it all depends how you want to define a sign and trade, but in but in the modern era, it's, it's uh, you know it sounds like it may it may have been the first that it was done exactly that way. You know, there's a, there's so many avenues of discussion with this deal. Obviously, the return there is some volatility to the return though. Yeah. I mean, you get a player like Huberdeau, over a hundred point player. I mean, to me, he was a heart heart guy all season long. Mm-hmm. You look at uh, Mackenzie Weger, Schwint. And the pick, and Florida's not going to pick in the first round for quite some time. But the first thing that goes into my twisted brain is, boy, how much money are Mackenzie Weger and especially Jonathan Huberto going to lose now going from an income tax-free state to north of the border? (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, you're looking at probably at least 30%. Oh, yeah, no no doubt. No doubt. And, uh, you know, I I mean, mean, beyond that for the players, I mean, the big – the big leap of faith here for Calgary is that they're going to be able to sign those guys. Yeah. When they just and, and lost never, two. Yeah. They, they just, they just lost two guys. To, and it wasn't a question of money either. That was the thing. I mean, those yeah. guys were, were offered very competitive, you know, even, even more than they got where we you know, were. They ended up. So it's, uh, you know, that they're, they're taking a taking taking some risk here. I mean, I, I actually, it seems to me that the small percentage seemed to think that Calgary made out here. And I guess they did because they had to, they had to move Kachuk and they got, they got top value, but they got top value maybe on a short term basis. And I also wonder, Jason, what happens if um, neither guy is extended, but Calgary, you know, because at this point, at this point they've, They've bolstered the blue line, actually. Weger was a part of an outstanding top pairing with Ekblad in Florida. And, yes, yes they've lost Goudreau, uh, but they replaced, they replaced Kachuk with Huberto. So I think this is still a playoff team. Yeah, you I know? agree. And, you know, they, they have – what happens if they it comes to the deadline time? You, you owe it to your team if they're in a playoff position to, to ride it out. 
Yeah. But then you could lose Huberto for nothing. You know, you could lose Uyghur for nothing. And then, you know, then you end up with, you know, <laughs> I mean, so they're, they're taking a, a huge risk in, in going. And listen, they, they weren't in a position to demand anything other than that, where, you know, whereas Florida was able to say, okay, it has to be a sign in trade. We want to make sure we have Kachuk locked up. Calgary, this is the best, this is the best offer they're going to get anywhere. So, you know, the, the best, they're, we're going to get a better player offer from anywhere else than Huberto, particularly. So, you know what? We're, we we got to take it. We have, a, we have a cup window in front of us, maybe, or a contendership window. And we're going to just, you know, play it by ear and go from there. Um, but I mean, I think it's a deal that helps both sides. And from a Florida standpoint, I mean, listen, they, they have Kachuk locked up first prime. And because he's only 24 now, he's 32 when the deal when you know when the deal expires. So we might, you know, if he's still productive, then maybe even one more contract beyond that. But if not that, again, you have what should be his prime years all locked up. So I, I like it from Florida's standpoint, honestly. I do. To me, it's a really big swing for Bill Zito, a really gutsy one. And and you know, Flyers fans are lamenting the days when these were the trades that they were involved in. Yeah. Now, I looked at the package, and I initially – it was funny because I put out on Twitter the night the trade happened, I hung my Keith Kachuk, Arizona Coyotes, ugly sweater in the studio. I said, I'm not taking this down until he's traded. And mere moments later, he was traded, and the jersey, as you can see, is not hanging behind me. But <laughs> I was like, wow, that's just ironic that I don't have to hang up this hideous sweater much longer. But – um, when you look at the package, you know, the Flyers were in no position to offer anything even close to that. But Bill Zito really, you know, I, I look at Bill Zito, you and I have talked about Bill before. Yeah. And I look at Kent Hughes, guys who spent time on the agent side. There seems to be a lot of gutsiness in the way they do things and a real bit, a real measure of the marketplace from those agent, you know, interactions and time. Not for sure. And, and I think they... They know, having seen the game from both sides of the equation, right? Things change quickly in the game. And while the iron is hot and while you have a window of time, you know, you might be best just striking while it's there because, you know, who, who knows if you're even going to be there in a few years, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just the nature of the hockey business. So, you know, I mean, yeah, certainly, uh, certainly Bill, Bill's not afraid of making bold moves. Um, as you said, they're not going to be picking first for a, a long time. So it'll be about 2026 before they have their next first rounder. Um, you know, listen, it, 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 it's not the textbook way of doing things, but look at the Penguins, right? Yeah. The Penguins have only drafted first three times in the last 10 drafts. And people keep saying, myself included, okay, it's going to catch up to them. It's going to catch up to them. It's going to catch up to them. It hasn't caught up to them yet, right? Um, they're they're still they're still a playoff team. Now they're an age they're a playoff team with a very very old core. It hasn't know? won a playoff series technically since right. They won the second cup. Yeah, they're they're a team that can get through the regular season just fine, but they seem to, to run out of gas a little in the playoffs yeah. as you sometimes see with with older teams. But you know, but nonetheless, it's still it's still a playoff team. They the bottom hasn't really dropped out yet on them. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's. Wait and see, but I mean, I think Florida has to certainly be, you know, still one of the favorites in the East. Um, Kachuk, I think, is, is exactly what they needed. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, Huberto, it's funny because Huberto had a really good playoff a year ago, and then this year 
his playoffs honestly were kind of a disappointment this year. Um, I don't know if that weighed into it at all, but he, you know, he was not nearly as dominant in the playoffs as he was in the regular season this year. Yeah. Um, but just, I, I think they need, a, they think, they think they need not just the goal scoring touch that Kachuk brings, but a little the snarl, a little the, you know, pugnacious nature that he has, you know, and yeah, you add that in, add that into the, add that into the offense that he brings, and still being, still, man, still only being 24 years old. I, I think it's a it's a big big addition. Um, you know, we'll see how they we'll see how they rejigger their the blue line a little bit um, because they had that they had that outstanding top pairing and they still have Ekblad. But you know, we'll see how that goes. But they they still, still certainly have to be among the favorites that come out of the East. So yeah, and for some time that core now of yeah. Barkov and right. Kachuk and two players that I think will complement each other incredibly well. Uh, but but you do look at it, and there is some risk involved because, as you mentioned, you know they didn't have a first round pick this year. They're not going to have a pick again in the first round, mm-hmm. at least as of this moment in twenty twenty two until twenty twenty six. So there's not a lot of supplementation at the draft coming their way at the top. And there, there's also a, there's also a Flyers component to this too because you know when they traded uh, for Claude Giroux, they traded their 2024 first rounder, but it was a conditional first rounder. It was top ten. Uh, I think it was top ten lottery protected, right? And uh, the the condition, you know, and, I, and it's very unlikely that that would, you know, that would ever yeah. come into play because we said how good good of a team it is. But you never know. Sometimes you have a year you just are riddled with injuries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And weird stuff happens in the game, but it, it's quite unlikely. But if if that then falls to the next year. Well then, that, that 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 next year they've already traded that pick, and they they just traded to Calgary. So I, I haven't I'm I'm trying to get confirmation on exactly how that's going to work out, whether they just release the condition on it and it's the 2020 you know it's their 2024 no matter what then the, then everything well, the will be. Flyers will get their 2025 first rounder. And then the 2026 pick is what would go to Calgary. I, I thought you 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 almost weren't even allowed to move picks that had yeah, conditions on them. I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't think you could when you had a when you already had that year as a potential condition for. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I mean, yeah. Or said, or the other alternative is the the uh, you drop the you drop the condition to the Philadelphia one, then everything falls in order. And listen, we're it, that's unlikely to happen anyway. Like I said, it's just. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you but never know. Look, look at a team like Colorado. You know, right. they have McKinnon, they have Landeskog, they have, you know, Miko Rantanen, and then in 2016-17, they have the worst record by 41 points in the NHL, right. so you never do know, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> that's, that's again, that's just the nature of the game. And, you know, there, there's a reason, as the, the cliche goes, why the game is played on ice and not on paper. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating trade. Um, one that real realistically the Flyers couldn't have competed with, except for except for the 2023 first rounder. That's the only thing they could really top the uh, other offer with. And listen, they you know, and understandably, Calgary wanted wanted players right now, and you're not you're Kyle not Sutter wants players right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's not in this for you know for a long term kind of a rebuild, especially with how good how good they were, you know, by the end of last season coming coming into this off season. So yeah. you know, it's just uh, it, it just you know they they just they just blew everybody else out of the water. Really, very really nobody else could have competed with that offense. Bill, let's stay off the ice real quick. The, we talk about the randomness on the ice, but let's stay off the ice real quick because you know it's an interesting situation for the NHL. You know the Calgary Flames, in my estimation, they had the best line in hockey with Elias Lindholm, with Johnny Gaudreau, 
and yeah. with with Kachuk, you know, each player was I think a plus fifty eight or above, uh, hundred plus point seasons for all, and Gaudreau at one hundred and fifteen, Kachuk at one hundred and four, and two thirds of that line has now jettisoned from the yeah. team they were on. It was a good team, like you said before. They the team was willing to pay them more than fair market value. They may have gotten more money had they stayed in Calgary, both players, and both chose to leave. Now they chose to leave. One, Johnny Gaudreau ends up in Columbus, and the other is in a tax-free state. But this players abandoning north of the border, and the you know, we know that players no trade list often includes every Canadian team because of the dollar because of the restrictions that happened there with COVID. There's a lot of elements to it. The microscope that you're under playing in a Canadian market. Does the NHL need to do something to level this playing field in any way, shape, or form? Because it doesn't seem level when you do have these tax-free states. It's it, Look, all sports deal with it, but you can sign for less in the state of Florida and bring home more, plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's. Uh, I think it's just kind of the, just the nature of the game today. I mean, it's... You know, when when they put in a hard cap, that was done to make teams like Edmonton and Calgary and Pittsburgh, truthfully, you know, more competitive. Um, because, you know, it wasn't that long ago, the Rangers and the Flyers and Toronto and Boston. Montreal. Yeah, yeah, Boston, too. They could just outspend the rest of the league. Yep. So, you know, and no, no matter where, no matter where a team like, you know, like the Coyotes or even the stars under their older, you know, older ownership could could get to a player. They could just blow them out of the water. You, you look at the, uh, you know, you look at the, even even in the cap era, right? Even in the, uh, you know, like in the Shea Weber offer sheet. I mean, the, the only way that the only way that Nashville was able to match it wasn't from team revenue. The owners had to take from their personal wealth. Yeah. To, the to contract was worth more than the team. Correct. At the time. Yeah. Correct. So. Yeah, so I mean, there, there's always, there's, I think there's always going to be these inequalities to some degree, um, and I don't know. I mean, you know, the there is the the worth of the Canadian dollar. There's all that stuff, the COVID stuff. I mean, it's you know, those are outside forces. I don't, I don't know how much you can, I don't know how much you can control that, how much you can legislate that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I don't know that it's good for the game when a lot of the best players are leaving. The, I agree. the Canadian market, you know, that's the one thing. I mean, now we all point to the next one to leave and it looks, you know, it's another American player. This player was mm -hmm. born in Arizona and it's Austin Matthews who won the heart this year. And many seem to think that he's going to, you know, leave the Leafs at his first opportunity, whether that happens or not, we'll see, mm -hmm. but it's a real, it's a real threat given what's going on. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and, and not a, not quite a player of, of on the level of Matthews, but you know, there's there's Brady Kachuk and you know in, in, uh, in Ottawa, and uh, you know I mean I it would be hard to imagine him staying long term in Ottawa once once he gets you know unrestricted free agency and that's just you know and I it may it may affect how I don't think I mean I'm, I don't know I, I don't know if, I'm going to reset I was going to say it may affect how teams draft teams don't think seven years out, eight years out. No, the draft. I think you can control so, at that point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You control the strong for as long as possible. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if teams would even think twice as to when they bring some players up. I mean, part of the thing with Matthew Kachuk is that he was in the, in the NHL at 18. Yeah. And that, you know, that's why, that's why he's going to be unrestricted at age 25. So, or would have yeah. been. 
he may get another kick at another contract after this eight-year deal has run its course, too. I mean, unbelievable. Um, And I guess the other thing, too, for me is, you know, I look at it and, you know, seeing all these players moving around. It's one thing I've been critical about the NBA with is the amount of control that a player has to dictate where he goes and just kind of opt out and blah. You know, the cap is different in the NBA. It's different in the NHL, but we're seeing a little bit of that movement taking place right now, and the players got a lot of hand. And you, you know, you couple that into a flat cap world that we're still in, and, and it makes it really interesting. You brought up Shea Weber, um, and it was something I sent it to you a couple of days ago that I wanted to discuss in this episode. You know, that was ten, Jesus, ten years ago. The Shea Weber offer sheet, and it was I think one hundred and fourteen million dollars. And Shea Weber should be sending Paul Holmgren a little stipend every year. And thank you. A little gratitude, uh, a bottle of Cristal or something. Uh, but Shea Weber got paid. As we look back on it, you know, the situation then was Pronger was done. That was the replacement. Is is it a good thing that that offer sheet wasn't seen through to land Shea Weber with the Flyers? Or would that have been better? It would have been better for then, obviously. Yeah, for, for at least the next several years. He's proven to be able to be moved too. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, honestly, honestly, you, when Pronger had the career ending injury, the Flyers were still able to pull together the rest of that year. Yeah. And that's the year they, that's the year they upset Pittsburgh in the first round. And that was a really good hockey team. And still, still, that was a really good team. Um, they were about 102 points in the regular season. You know, they, they beat Pittsburgh in the first round and then they kind of underachieved against the Devils in the second round. But very, very good team. Um, you know, I, I, the Flyers spent so many years still trying in some ways to, to replace Chris Pronger, you know. And um, so if, so they would have had Weber for the next several years. I think the I think the, the window to win a cup would have still been open. Now, in the long term of losing, you know, losing four first round picks. You know, and, and uh, I mean, yeah, who knows where those picks would have been? You can't even look at the players they drafted because, you know, the Flyers would have finished finished higher in the standings and or, you know, gone deeper in the playoffs. Then you're looking at a different scenario than, than as it played out. I guess in the long term, it was maybe a good thing that, that uh, Nashville matched it. In the short term, I, I think it, you know, I think it, it, sealed the window in the Flyers. And remember too, Jason, that was a weird off season that started out with the Flyers offering more than any other team actually for, uh, for Suter and Parisi. Yeah. You know, they, you know, and so that was kind of, so Suter was kind of plan a because he was unrestricted. It wasn't going to cost them picks. Um, and you know, they ended up going to, to Minnesota, but, um, you know, and, in and while they were, you know, while they were, waiting to hear in those guys, Yarmir Yager, who they would have liked to have resigned, decided he didn't want to wait anymore and he went to Dallas. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was part of the part of that leadership core they, they had there too. So, you know, and so it was like that was the early off season. Then then they switched gears to first trying to trade for Weber, um, who was a year away from unrestricted free agency and was kinda kind of the same situation Kachuk is in was in, you know, where um, he could have gone to arbitration and uh, played for one year and gone unrestricted, but he ended up signing. Instead, he ended up signing an offer sheet with the Flyers. So, you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think you could take it all the way out to about 
2014 or so, and the Flyers might have been in better shape then. Long term, long term, probably not. But uh, you know, but it, uh, but then again, you know, then again, you, you could look into look at maybe Provorov coming into the league, and rather than instantly leading the Flyers defenseman in, in minutes played, you know, he has Weber as his partner, or a true yeah. right side, right-handed defenseman, etc. So, you know, there, there there's so many ways you can look at it. Um, it, you know, it's a fascinating what if, but, uh, you know, but you can look now where Weber's done <laughs> and, you know, I mean, there's so money owed on that contract. So it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I guess now, now it doesn't look very good, but, but back then that was a, a big, bold move. And, you know, I mean, tr- truthfully, I mean, truthfully, that that's part of the way I think Flyers fans to an extent were spoiled back then because whatever big name was out there, whether it was Suter or Parisi or, you know, or Weber or whoever it was, the Flyers wanted the guy, you know, they were going to do everything in their power to go get him. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a different era now. Yeah, and Paul Holmgren thinks that maybe that, that, that was a bit of a poison pill for him too as a GM. Yes. Where, you know, because offer sheets are one of those things where, you know, you they really put the screws to Nashville in that situation. And Nashville ultimately ended up, like you said, ended up matching it, but it really put them in a difficult, difficult position um, to do that. And sometimes, you know, the other GMs around the league look at that and say, you know, that's a little bit underhanded, if you will, I guess, uh, to, to put Nashville to the test like that. Um, the other thing I want to talk about in this episode, Bill, and I put this tweet out the other day because obviously, you know, some of the big names that were out there, whether it was Kachuk, whether it was Goudreau, whether it's Kadri or whatever, Flyers have not been involved in. And it, I see a lot of slander out there on Sean Couturier's name. A bit of, if you will, revisionist history on the player he was pre-injury. And, you know, that, you know, he's this big guy up the middle. This is a horrible contract. And look, I don't know what he's going to be coming off the back surgery. I know they can do amazing things medically now, but back surgery is back surgery. And, you know, Couturier is not the most fleet of foot skater. We don't know how any of this is going to affect him. But the thing that's, that's been bothersome to me is, the 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 lens people are looking through prior to this injury and lost year for him where he had the surgery because this is a player that when he went to Dave Hackstall that one season back in 2000 after the 2016-17 season said he wanted a bigger piece of the offensive pie and then it was given to him I mean he's put up incredible numbers he's won a Selkie he was a runner-up for a Selkie and you know two 76 point seasons in 82 games and 80 games and then he had 59 points in 69 games in the pandemic-shortened season, and then the even shorter season when they came back, and the 45 games, 41 points prior to the last year where he dealt with the injury, even got off to a good start. I mean, you're looking at 276 games played over those four years, 104 goals, 148 assists, 252 points, and like I mentioned, won a Selkie and was a runner-up for a Selkie. Are you seeing the same thing where people are kind of undervaluing what Jean Couturier uh, at least was, and we'll see what he is. Yeah, I mean, it kind of started last year when he got got the extension, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, my point then was that you know, yes, you, yeah, many players do decline by the by thirty in their early thirties. However, there are many players who go on and have a lot of productive years after that. Chase Bergeron is thirty six; is still a you know. I mean, he, he's he's always been the the standard bearer for two way defensemen in the NHL, and yes, he's played with, you know, with Marshawn, with Pasternak, but still, 
you know, but still, he's he's a good, he's a great player in his own right, offensively, defensively. Well, if you look at Couturier versus versus Bergeron uh, from the from that year, 2017-18, when Couturier's role was increased, because you have to you have to look at the minutes he's playing, you know, what kind of power play time is he getting, all the rest of that. You know, before that, Couturier was largely the Flyers' third line, sometimes second line, but often third line center. So it's not fair to to compare a guy playing on the first line to a guy who's primary role was defensive before that. Um, So, but during that period when they were playing the same role, same minutes and truthfully, other than Giroux, you know, uh, I mean, Bergeron had the better line mates, you know? So, but, but uh, Couturier had more points. Um, Now Bergeron missed some time. So, so points per game was a little higher for Bergeron, but negligibly higher. So you're basically talking about two pretty equivalent players. And, um, you know, I mean, that's that's a very high-quality player who's extremely difficult to replace. Um, and you could see it all – you could see it last season. And you mentioned he got off to good service, 12 points in the first 10 games. Hardly like a guy was finished or declining. And then he had the back injury, which he, he tried to play through and was clearly not himself, you know, and then he was shut down and out for the season after the back surgery. So, you know, but you're, you're talking about a – a guy who's been a, a real high quality guy in the NHL was, was underpaid for a lot of that time too. Four point three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Flyers got a whole lot of value out of the other contract, and the downside on that, and the upside is he was underpaid all those years, so you could, you know, you could spread that around the roster. The downside is, well, that means you may have to overpay him a little bit next time in the next contract if you're keeping the guy. Um, and you know, and there's something also that the other players look at too, though. You know, you, you there's always that conundrum on how much you reward for past performance versus expected future value, and you had to strike you know strike a balance in there. But I mean, Couturier, Couturier's. I mean, you know, we thought Couturier's cap was going to be higher, actually, yeah. than it is. But he got a lot of term. Yeah, they, yeah. they traded some term for some cap. Um, I, I mean, I'm one guy that I actually do feel a little bit hopeful for is Couturier moving forward because as you said, they've, they've done a, they've done a whole lot with back surgeries. Now um, if the flyers would have made the playoffs last year, been close to the playoffs, he probably could have played late in the season if he had yeah. to. So that, you know, I, there, there are other, there are other kinds of injuries. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel much more optimistic about Katori than I feel about, about Ryan Ellis, for example. Yeah. You know, one so, core leads to another core injury too. Yeah, exa- exactly. So, you know, as far as Couturier is concerned, and, and to me, it's also like, you know, you know, the, the the argument is, well, he's not a he's not a real number one center. Well, you know, it, it, to me, it always comes down to the to the mix on the roster anyway, and that's not a reflection of Couturier. Yeah. That's that's a reflection on you know what else has been put around him, whether that that matches up to what the rest of the league has, the other contenders. But as far as Couturier individually goes, I I, I stand firmly that. Uh, you know, you you could certainly win with Couturier, and you know you could even go back to that 2018 series, the playoff series against Pittsburgh, where Couturier had an injury during that series, and he played out of his mind in that yeah. series when he, when he came back. I mean, you know, he so you know he he's played he's played a very high level against high level competition. I mean, believe me, he's 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 been the least of the Flyers' problems over the years. I, I don't I don't you know I I know that there's a a tendency, particularly the last couple of years, where 
everything is awful, right? Yeah. Where, where every decision is wrong. And, and I get it, right? It's frustration. But, uh, but I, I think, I think you just take a, take a step back, look at Couturier versus an Anji Kopitar or, or a Bergeron. He's, he's right up with guys like that. That's, uh, that's never been the problem. I think he's viewed that way outside of Philadelphia, but right now he's not viewed that way inside of Philadelphia. Um, last thing for you, Bill, um, is John Tortorello playing the nobody likes us and we don't care card, us against the world? I think so, yeah. Yeah, if you look, if you look, at, yeah, you look at the comments about, about D'Angelo, and uh, you know what? <laughs> no problem at all with that. He sent the message to his players. And really, that's really that was really his audience here. His audience was not the fans. Yeah. It was not the media. His audience was his, his new player saying, you know what? I got your back, guys. And that's uh, and you, you look at the way we're getting, you know, yeah, it, it, it's us against the world. But that works. And that, 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 that's a proven that's a proven motivation tactic. So no problem with it. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's a card that I think that he's played before and knows how to play it. And I almost think it's his best card because he's a guy that will take on a lot of heat for the players and make himself the enemy. And, and you know, players appreciate that. I think that's yeah. one of the things that I heard in talking to a lot of guys that played for Torts that they appreciated the way he did handle those kind of situations. And uh, we'll see how it resonates with this group. Uh, we're getting closer and closer. We're kind of in that dry period right now where, it, as I've called it, cottage season, where everybody goes to the cottages and bunkers yeah. down for a little while. Uh, soon we'll be getting players here coming into uh, into town to start the informal skates. And before you know it, rookie camp's around the corner as well. August is right around the corner. So uh, August the slowest hockey month, but we'll see where it goes uh, for the Flyers. And we'll see if there's any other – you know, we just had a major trade on the 22nd of July. I wasn't expecting that, but uh, you never know what's going to happen. And Godry, obviously, another uh, a domino to fall. Bill, great stuff as always. Uh, read Bill's stuff on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Coming up on a brand new Flyers Day. In the days of my youth, I was telling what it